Hey, if you are new here this morning and you didn't bring a Bible, there are Bibles in the back. If you don't own one, you can have one. There are sermon notes on all the communion tables, so you can follow along because I tend to talk kind of fast and it's good for people if they have those. Um, I have some friends who are in this band. It's called Take No Glory, and it's... They, they, they put out their CDs for free, and if you guys want one, they're in the back on that information table. You can grab one. Uh, it's very mellow. Uh, it's not uh, like rock and roll. It's just kind of, I don't know, if you like it. It's good. It's recorded very well. I mean, it's great. I just, you know, I want it like, wow. They're doing a concert, a free concert at First Christian Church on the last Friday of this month, I think. So, there you go. Go see them. It's free. They're good people. There you go. Uh, I have a very serious question, and you're going to laugh when I ask, but I'm actually serious when I ask it. Does anybody have a mannequin? <laughs> no, anybody, anybody know anybody that has a mannequin? Is it, is it a torso and a head? I need some with a head. No, no, it's, it's for something, I, I don't need it till like August, but I actually need one for, okay, keep in your minds, if you run across somebody, you're like, somebody's cleaning out their garage, like, hey, they got a mannequin, click, okay, just call, let me know, because I could, I'll ask all the other services too, it'll be crazy, we'll, we'll see. Uh, on June 6th, I'm just letting you guys know, if you are parents of teenagers or 6th graders going into 7th grade, James is having a parent meeting after second service. He'll serve you guys lunch and let you guys know what's going on in the youth program for the rest of the year and the beginning of next year. You're welcome. We've been pushing him to get this done so that you guys can be up to date on what's going on. So yay. So why don't you guys stand with me, reading to God's Word. This is 1 Peter 5.8, and it says this, Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that we would be those who trust in you and the gifts that you have given to us as your people, and that we would be aware of Satan and his schemes, but we'd also be aware of how you call us to stand and fight. Now you call us to live our lives so that you are honored, and we stand with great strength, and we stand in your strength. Amen. Have a seat. So we are going through the book of Ephesians. We are almost done. We have three weeks left, including this week. That's right. It's 19 weeks of Ephesians. You guys are going to be so smart when we get done with this. Uh, if you have a Bible, open to Ephesians chapter 6 because that's where we are. Uh, the theme so far in the book of Ephesians has been this, that, that sin separates us from God and each other. Our sin separates us from God and other people. And yet Jesus comes and he takes away our sin so we can be reconciled to God. When we are reconciled to God, what do we call that? Christianity. Okay, we can be Christians, and then we can be reconciled to each other. When we're reconciled to each other, what do we call that? The church. You guys are so smart. I've done my job so well after 16 weeks. Not making fun of you at all. Uh, so Paul paints this great picture of what God is doing and what life could be like if we followed Christ. How marriages could be strong, how husbands could love wives, how wives could respect husbands, how children could honor their parents, how parents could raise kids, how employers and employees could treat each other with grace and hope and respect and dignity. It is stunning. It is encouraging. It is so hopeful to read. And yet we look at our lives and we're like, but my life stinks. It doesn't look like this at all. What's going on with this? I mean, everything Paul says, it sounds so amazing. But when we try to attain that goal, it's like those dreams that we have where you're always reaching for the, and you just can't get there. It's far, and you're just going like in molasses. And you, 
No, me? I have those all the time. Maybe not you. Whatever. But that, that's what it's like. And, and today, Paul gives us another reason why that happens. A few weeks ago, we talked about how our own sin does that and continues to separate us from people. Uh, but Jesus, again, takes away that sin. But today, he also shows us something else. First, through the first five chapters, he gives us great encouragement. Today, he shows us our enemy. Uh, this enemy opposes God and God's image bearers, and he makes life much more difficult and arduous than it should be. And right now, you're probably thinking, oh, great, we're going to talk about Satan. Yes, we are. You're welcome. Uh, back in August, we spent four weeks talking about spiritual warfare. Today, I will do it in one week. I'm a professional, so just buckle up and we'll be good at it. Um, if you look at all the evil in the world, you see that there has to be something behind this. Uh, there is a cause that leads to much of the devastation that we see around us in our world today. And again, a major part of that is you and I. It is our sin and how we treat each other. But another part of that is Satan. Uh, he has a myriad of names in Scripture. Uh, I'll give you some theology here. Uh, scripture tells us before creation, the one true God existed eternally as a perfect community within himself. Father, Son, and Spirit. Out of nothing, God made everything that is. This includes all of creation, people and spirit beings, which are called angels. He makes these for his good pleasure and his glory. One of these angels, a guardian cherub, according to Ezekiel 28:14, named Lucifer, became proud and decided he wanted to be God rather than follow God. He becomes filled with pride, thinking he could do everything his own way. You see this in Ezekiel 28:2, James 4, 6, and 7. So he amasses an army of one-third of the angels in heaven. He declares war on God in heaven. Uh, 2 Peter 2, 4, Revelation 9, 1, Revelation 12, 3, and 4. God then defeats this enemy that stands against them. He casts him out of heaven, Isaiah 14, 11, 1, 20, 11 through 23, Ezekiel 28, 1 through 19. And of course, Satan would lose because really God doesn't have enemies. Nobody can stand against the omnipotent, eternal God that is. So he is cast out. This war against God literally falls upon the earth where these defeated angels are demons and they start attacking God's image bearers, beginning with our first parents, Adam and Eve, whom the dragon tempted with sin and the twisting of God's word. You see this in Genesis chapter 3. Uh, and, and this, again, I think this goes very well with our day because a lot of people today are like, oh, I'm very spiritual. I was talking to a guy a couple weeks ago. He goes, I just read spiritual books all the time. And when people say this, I'm always like, do you think everything spiritual is good? Just like there are people who are not very good people in the spiritual realm, there are things that are not good. Satan is not good, in case you were wondering. So Adam and Eve, they get tempted, and what they do is they sin in the same way that Satan did, with pride. Adam and Eve think, like we do, that we know how to do things better than God, so they try and do it on their own. They disobey God. They sin. They fall. And then curses are given out by justice by God. And part one of these curses is death. It is sin. It is separation. Every time you sin, you are separating yourself from life. And that's what happens. In Genesis 4, you see murder becomes part of the human equation with Cain and Abel. But back in Genesis 3, God promises that a second Adam would come and he would slay the dragon. And though Jesus would suffer great injury in that fight. Now, this promise was fulfilled at the cross when Jesus takes upon himself the sins of his people and in doing so defeats sin, death, and the dragon. 
Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 through 15 says this, When you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us, that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross, having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Now, Revelation chapter 20, verses 7 through 15, tells us this will be conclusively fulfilled in the end when Jesus judges and binds all of these enemies together like kindling for the fires of hell. So right now, we are a people. We kind of live in what we call the time between the times. It's a time of celebration because Jesus has defeated the dragon. And it's a time of anticipation when Satan and the stain of his servants and all of those works are forever cleansed. Now, our our time between the times is supposed to be a period for God's people to live in this grace and proclaim the great news of Jesus' victory and live as people in the grace He provided to live with redeemed hearts, redeemed lives, redeemed marriages, redeemed families. All that Ephesians 1 through 5 tells us that we're supposed to have. But everything Ephesians calls us to feels like a battle. Everything is hard. You know, loving your parents or honoring your parents is hard. Loving your spouse or respecting your husband, these things are hard. Loving your neighbors because they stand out in their front yard in their boxer shorts, watering their lawn, scratching their belly. It's hard to love your neighbor. Loving your family's hard because they're weird. We are in the middle of a war. This is what Paul tells us. That's why everything feels hard. We think everything should get so much better when we follow Jesus. And in one sense, it does. But it's still hard because you haven't left the war. You have simply finally switched sides of who you were fighting for. So Satan is at work seeking to kill and destroy the children of God. And Paul tells you that the church is not just a beautiful bride. The church is also an army that is arrayed for battle. And a lot of guys like that picture much better than the picture of a bride. We can't picture ourselves in a dress but we like the picture, oh, battle, yeah, I'm going to kill and maim things, that's good. And so this is where Paul goes in Ephesians chapter 6, that he talks about this battle. So Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, this is where we are. Paul says, finally, this is in light of the last 16 weeks, in light of everything we've done so far, finally be strong in the Lord and His, and His mighty power. Uh, if you're going to fight, you need strength. You need strength. Uh, strength is a gift by God given to us as his people. The wording that Paul uses here is actually in reference to hand-to-hand combat. Anybody ever been in a fight? Okay, if you've never been in a fight, fighting's hard. It is tough. I mean, it's like, you ever watch MMA? Maybe you mug people for a living? I don't know. But if you've ever been in a fight, it is exhausting. Keeping your hands up, guarding your face, it's, it's very exhausting. And God gives us strength in this fight. It is a great gift from God in a spiritual sense. So verse 11, he says, So put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Now, Paul is writing this to a church. He is not writing this individually. He's writing to a church. Now, so this doesn't mean that that you go out and you're trying to pick fights with with demons and Satan all the time. This is in reference to God's people together. We love each other. We serve each other. We pray together. We study together. This is, again, why we push small groups. We're going to encourage and correct and build each other up and proceed together. To do this, we must arm ourselves as a people. Fighting is done standing up. It is in a ready posture. And you may say, but I don't like to fight. Sorry, you're in one. That's just how it is. And you have an enemy and he has a plan. And the key is to know the enemy and their plan. The key to any battle is knowing your enemy's plan. Generals are always looking for troop movements. Where are they going? Uh, you 
football coaches are always trying to steal the other team's playbooks so they know you know what the other team is going to do boxers watch other boxers boxing tapes so they can see how they fight so they can go and they can defend and guard and you know knock them out because that's what boxers do you know your enemies and their weaknesses because i'll tell you your enemy knows your weaknesses Pride, gossip, lust, greed, laziness, whatever your weakness is, he has a plan to exploit your weakness. Satan's weakness is that his schemes are known by God and his people. Now I'm going to show you a video clip. This is from a TV show called Supernatural. The, the theology in Supernatural is terrible. Every time they quote from the Bible, it's not in the Bible. It's like, oh, this is from Revelation uh, 35. You know, it's like... Really? I didn't know there were that many chapters in there. You know, it's, it's, it's crazy. But, but they did this thing about Satan, and I'm just like, that's so true. So I'm going to show you this clip. That's how he works. Right there. By the way, that was the guy from Lost, in case you were. <laughs> that wasn't Jacob in the clip, though. <laughs> it's, it's, that's exactly how he works. Many, many times Christians start thinking, oh, it's just me and Jesus. And when we get attacked, we say, why would Jesus do this to me? Now, I'll tell you, everything is under God's hand, but we do have an enemy. And, and so we know what his scheme is. If you look at the worst places in your life, it, most of those are a lot of your own decisions. If you think about it logically, you see the progression of what put you in a place. And I'm not saying you blame Satan for all your stupid mistakes in your life, but I'm saying you be aware of his schemes. And that is what Paul is saying. In verse 12, he says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Scripture will tell you there are physical causes for some of the stuff that happens in our world, but there's also spiritual causes as well. Some things just cannot be explained away. And Paul says our real battle is not people. Our real enemy is our enemy. And yet, God's people walk around and they're wounded and deceived. Christians love to make enemies out of people. It's like, oh, it's those abortion doctors or those drug dealers or those Democrats or those Republicans or Obama or it's Bush. Our enemy is not people. Our enemy is the enemy. People are our objective to speak the love and the grace of Christ to we don't know if people are on Jesus' team or not until they hear the gospel. All of us at some point in our lives have fought for the enemy. But old things have passed away, we become new, and we become children of God. One temptation, one scheme the enemy loves to use is that we will see people as our enemies rather than goals to be pursued as recipients of the gospel. And I, I will tell you, Satan does work and play people. He's like a puppeteer behind the curtain. But also on the other side of that, people are responsible for their own sins. We are not all innocent victims. We are all morally culpable. Satan can tempt, but who sins? We do. We do. Satan can lie, but who believes the lie? We believe the lie. Satan can accuse us of things untrue, but then who believes that again? We do. You know, Satan doesn't force us to do anything. You know, he can tempt your flesh, your fallen nature. And many times he simply gives us what we really want deep down inside. The, the devil doesn't make you do it. Sometimes he loads the gun and puts it in your hand, but we pull the trigger. And so, yes, you have Satan, but you also have us being morally culpable for our actions. And we should be a people who have a heart for broken people in deep sin. Think of it this way. Our king, he is a great king. He is loving. He is good. He is redeeming. And he wants us to live lives that invite other people into redemption that we know, not shove them away. But a lot of these people who they serve is nothing but death and sorrow. And that should break our hearts because it breaks our king's heart. 
Our war is not against people. It's against the very real evil behind them. And apart from God's grace, we would be like everyone else on the planet, an enemy of God. So Paul says this, verse 13, Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. Now he says, he says when the day of evil comes, not if it comes. He says when. It's going to come. Evil days come, struggle, difficulty, trial. You know why? It's a war. We are in a battle. It's like air raids dropping shells on you all the time. Jesus didn't walk through life unscathed. Things were tough for him. I'll tell you, loving your spouse will be hard because they're weird. But you married them. Okay, Loving your kids is going to be hard because they're just like you. Loving your parents is hard. You know why? Because you're going to be just like them. It's crazy stuff. Working your job, paying your bills, loving and forgiving your friends will all be hard. But when those days come, you stand. He says, and after you have done everything, to stand. This means it is ongoing. It's like when the, when the battle is won, now you hold the line. You stayed there. If there was some place in your life where you believed a lie, you didn't believe who God said he was, and yet you threw up that lie, and eventually it's like, I believe. You stand there and continue to believe even when the lie crops its head up again. If you have learned to love others, you stand there. And when people drive you nuts like your crazy neighbors, you continue to stand there and love others. You stand, you stand, you stand, you hold your ground. And Paul tells us how we can hold our ground. Uh, in our military service, we have various branches. Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, you got Coast Guard and, and, and the Reserves, all this stuff. Because enemies attack us in different ways. And so Satan will attack you in different ways. He doesn't have one attack. He always comes at you the same way. He's got different ways. So what Paul talks about is now what this armor looks like and the things we are to put on as a people to defend ourselves in this fight. Verse 14 says, Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. One of the ways Satan works is through lies. Lies. John chapter 8, Jesus tells us Satan is the father of lies. It's his native language. So you and I grew up, we grew up speaking English. You know, you've talked it all your life. Sometimes, you know, like Jim Bray, not so good at it sometimes. But, you know, <laughs> that was perfect. It was a perfect segue for me, wasn't it? That was great. Yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but, but, you know, we, we all speak it because we've grown up talking this. Satan, that language that, like, English comes so easy to you, for him it is lies. He has been around since the beginning of mankind. He has been doing it a long time. He is very good at it. Our defense is to know the truth. What is truth? Jesus and the word of God. John 17, 17, Jesus says, Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. The scriptures are true. John 1, 14 says, Jesus, uh, Jesus came full of grace and truth. You want truth? You need to believe the Jesus of the Bible. Not the Jesus of all the crazy, weirdo, religious people writing books today, but the Jesus of the scriptures. That's who you need to believe. Because if you believe a lie, does that lie start to control you? Yes, totally. My, my wife and I, we've been married 17 years. We've been married 18 years this year. I have been faithful to her. She has been faithful to me. I love her with all that I am. But if she believed that I did not love her and had not been faithful to her, would that affect our relationship? Yes. Would that lie change how we interact? Of course it would. What I find so bizarre about married couples is at some point they get, start to get so bitter and they want to believe lies. They want to believe the other person doesn't really love them or doesn't really want the best for them. And we hang on to these lies. Those are lies. In order to kill you, the enemy just needs you to believe something untrue. He lies. 
He lies. If you believe it, it will destroy you. It is why he loves gossip. He loves it when you're mad at someone and will not talk to them. He loves bitterness because that is the way these lies get disseminated. It's why in Exodus 20, 16, the big Ten Commandments, it says, don't lie. Don't lie. Lying is evil. It is not meant to be part of your life because it's opposite of God's kingdom. I mean, today people love to argue about, oh, truth is relative. All truth is relative. I don't think people actually believe that because we all believe in lies. And if there's a lie, that means there has to be truth. And God is a God of truth. Um, I'll give you an example of how this is supposed to work. 1 John 1, 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So we all probably have one, or if you're like me, a lot more than one sin in our lives that we feel regret for. We wish we didn't do. Maybe something we did, wish we didn't do. Something we didn't do, wish we did. Something we said, wish we didn't say. There's something there that we wish wasn't there. And we find it very hard to believe the gospel, like 1 John 1, 9. You're forgiven, you're purified, you're righteous, you are loved. And the enemy will keep whispering, God can't renew you. God can't redeem that. You may as well just give up. So God's people struggle to receive the grace that God gives us because we believe the lie. There's a movie, The Liar Liar, remember that? And it's a comedy because somebody tells the truth. The whole movie, we're like, oh, that's so funny. It's crazy. God is a God of truth and lies are an enemy. So the first thing he talks about is you guard yourself with the truth. The second thing is righteousness. Verse 14, with the breastplate of righteousness in place. Satan works through sin. You may think, Satan, oh, well, I haven't seen people like Rosemary's baby and heads spinning around and flying people and green puke. I haven't seen that because that's Hollywood. There's a lot of churches who buy into that and think, oh, that's how Satan works. No, that is not how he works. He works their good old-fashioned sin. 1 John 2.18 calls it the cravings of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. This is what all advertising in our world goes after. Right there. It looks good. It feels good. I want it. Nobody sees horny, drunk, and stupid coming. Nobody sees it. What we see is Axe Body Spray and Bud Light and Motel 6. That's what, oh, and the boom, horny, drunk, and stupid. It just comes. Bam, and it hits you. You see? That's how we work. It's why the devil didn't show up with a pitchfork and Rosemary's Baby. Ah, you would run from that and be like, ah! He shows up, just like the, like the video clip I showed you. Oh, I don't lie. I'm just like your beautiful wife that's dead. That's, that's what he shows up like. He doesn't show up all crazy. The enemy wants you to walk in unrighteousness because our righteousness is a gift from God. It is laid upon us like new clothes. We are to say no to sin and yes to Christ. I mean, even think about your favorite sins. You know, the ones that you're like, well, maybe that's not really a sin. It's, it's not that bad. And we just kind of, it is. And we hold on to it because they're unrighteous. Loving our flesh more than we love our God. Verse 15, he talks about, and with your feast, feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. This is the urgency of the gospel. The gospel is urgent. You get to it. But most of our spiritual lives are not about urgency at all. It's not that important, so we don't serve and pray and love each other very quickly. When apathy sets in, there is no urgency because we do not understand the depth of the gospel. 
Charles Spurgeon, one of the greatest preachers of, of all time, I think, wrote this. This is what he said. We believe in a gospel that was formed in the purpose of God from all eternity, designed with infinite wisdom, wrought out at an enormous expense, costing nothing less than the blood of Jesus, brought home by the infinite power of the Holy Spirit, a gospel full of blessings, one of which would outweigh a world in price, a gospel as free as it is full, a gospel everlasting and immutable, a gospel of which we can never think too much of, whose praises we can never exaggerate that gospel is urgent this peace that cost jesus his life and the enemy does not stand around waiting for you to fight he will attack you when you're on the couch so it is urgent truth righteousness urgency of the gospel number four faith in verse 16 he says in addition to all this take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one now in paul's day uh, almost all shields were made of wood so if you're going against somebody with a wooden shield, you take a flaming arrow, boom, genius move, right? Ah, their shield's on fire, they drop it, and, they, and then you shoot them and knock them down. So what they started to do is they would take leather and they would dip this leather in water and they would wrap their shields with this leather. Another genius move. Boom, ha, 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 I no longer care about your flaming arrow. It's like Monty Python or something, but yeah, you know, th th that kind of thing. I don't care about it. Your arrow. Uh, the enemy is constantly lobbing arrows at God's people. Revelation 12:10, Zechariah 3 says that Satan accuses us. You are not loved. You are not forgiven. You are not cared for. You are not significant. You are not doing enough. You are not maturing enough. And you're getting shot at all the time because arrows fly through the air. Many people think, oh, well, those arrows are coming from God. And it's God accusing them. So people get all crazy and try to accomplish all these things that Jesus already accomplished for us. We call that legalism. We get hit with temptation, accusation, and lies. How do you protect yourself against those things? Faith. The shield of faith. The moments we must desperately trust God, when we are accused and we are opposed, that is when we need this faith that God gives us. It is hard to trust God when you think He doesn't care. But faith trusts God's Word until we see it, not because we always do accusation are like these fire bombs falling out of the sky and too many people go ah, and they drop their shield and they run and as soon as you drop the shield it's over they'll just shoot you down right there when when the war starts when you are attacked the worst thing you could do is run from christ verse 17 he says then take the helmet of salvation so you take this assurance of salvation this is very practical because you need your head Okay, that's, that's very practical advice. Uh, I've seen people lose fingers and limbs and recover. I've never seen anybody recover from losing their head. Okay? It's, it's why uh, if I go snowboarding, I wear a helmet. I've hit my head enough to be like, I can't take this anymore. You know, skateboarders, they want these kids to wear helmets because it's important. In a fight, you go for the head. The head. Uh, if you're in a zombie apocalypse, you go for the head. If you don't have enough bullets to double tap, you go for the head. Okay, you don't go for the shoulder, you don't go for the head every single time. Knowing that fact, you live in a war and the enemy will go for your head. He will make you question your salvation all the time. You keep your head down, you wear your helmet. In boot camp, they don't say when the battle starts, keep your head high and take off your helmet. Unless they don't like you, then they might say that to you. But, and I will tell you, if you have not trusted Jesus with your life, you're walking through this battle with your head up and no helmet. And you probably wonder why you keep getting smacked in the head all the time. You need Christ. He is your defense and He is your hope. Paul says, without Jesus, you're dead because death is real and it exists and Satan is real and he exists and demons are real and they exist and hell is real and it exists. You need Jesus. 
So Paul walks through these truth and righteousness and the urgency of the gospel and faith uh, and the assurance of salvation. And now he actually gives us some offensive weapons. Verse 17, he says, And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. That's your scriptures. That's your Bible. Now, does Satan also use that sword? Yes, he does. In Genesis 3, he goes up and he's, and he's talking to Eve. Oh, did God really say? He's like one of these new church hip pastors who is like, oh, did God really say this? And just twist the hermeneutic. And you're like, what does that even mean? Never mind. But, you know, just total downhill right there. And Eve responds with, with something that, uh, you know, God didn't say. And bam, the battle's over. Misquotes. Battle over. Satan tries the same thing with Jesus in Matthew chapter 4. Pulls out the sword and misquotes goes for Jesus. And Jesus goes, boom, pulls out the sword. Deuteronomy. Whack! Takes him down. Think about it. If our lives rested upon our ability to quote Deuteronomy, we'd all be dead. <laughs> Christians who don't know they're in a battle never pick up their sword, their word of God, because they think they're in peacetime. You need your sword. There are two stupid things I have seen Christians do. Some idiot Christians pull out their sword and they stab each other all the time. I've seen this happen. Oh, people debating about the second coming of Christ. Has, hasn't. And these, I, seriously, there, there are some people who have actually, I know, asked other people to leave their church because of something that they believe hasn't even happened yet. I mean, if you're like pre-mill, preacher, one of these, it's like, this hasn't happened yet for you. And so you're thinking, oh, no one agrees. How can you be that dogmatic about something that hasn't happened yet? Okay. So they're stabbing each other with this sword. It's crazy. It is crazy stuff. The enemy loves it when we stab each other. Uh, speaking in tongues. Oh, let's pull out our swords. Let's stab each other all the time. And the enemy loves that. When, when the other army's trying to kill each other, they're like, my job's done. Perfectly done. We should debate these things. We should, we should love to talk about this stuff, but we do it to sharpen our swords. To sharpen them, not stab each other. And the second stupid thing I've seen Christians do is they, they talk about their sword, but they never use it. It's like, oh, I got a big one. sits on the shelf. All kinds of notes. It's a great one. Did you see it? You want to look at it? I don't, but you can look at it. It's crazy when people do that kind of stuff. I, I have a real sword at home. I think it's awesome. I've actually waited for years for someone to break into my house so I could actually use it on them. But it's never happened. But, you know, I show people it. The enemy will try to convince you that your sword is not a sword and get you to put it down. Oh, you know, we can't really trust the manuscripts or or the translation or that book causes too much division. And so you put it down. Then the enemy picks it up and he stabs you with it. You're like, seriously, you said it wasn't a sword. And he says, it is. I lied. That's what I do. Didn't you read it? The enemy tries to get that sword out of your hand. It is why there are cults. Because he'll take that, he'll twist it, then he'll hand it back and go, oh, here you go. The enemy uses that sword. He doesn't lack information. He lacks repentance. James 2.19 says demons are monotheists. They believe in God. They're using these swords to cut down God's people. And when we do the same thing, it is shameful. It is shameful. The scriptures are there to cut out sin, to lead us into righteousness so we can be the children of God, not to stab other children of God. We should prepare ourselves reading the scriptures before the battle because you don't want to start trying to figure it out in the midst of chaos. How do I use this thing? What do I do with it? At element, the scriptures are for using. It is why we go through the scriptures because I need you guys to know them. You and I need the scriptures desperately. They are important for our lives. The enemy is trying to destroy all that God made as good. Family, friendships, worship, hope, faith. 
And this sword should be able to cut out the sin and the blame and the unrighteousness out of our lives so we can live lives that God calls us to. And the last thing he talks about is prayer. Verse 18, we'll talk about this more next week because I'm going to wrap up real quick. But verse 18, he says, And praying the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert. This means pay attention, keep your eyes open, and always keep on praying for all the saints. He says you pray for each other because the enemy is trying to take their heads off. So you pray for them. The enemy is trying to lead people into sin, destroy that marriage, corrupt that person with lies, assault with accusation. You pray because people need it. And if you don't know how to pray, your first prayer should be, God, teach me how to pray. So, i got two questions. Do you think God has a plan for the gospel in our valley? Yes. Do you think God has a plan for the gospel in our valley? Yes. Yes. Okay. Of course, He does. There's a large group of people out there called the church who probably don't even know that they are part of the church. They have not heard the gospel yet, and you should be spreading that word to them. And so our planet element is to teach you the gospel, ground you in the word, connect you to other believers, call you to truth and repentance and grace. Now, does Satan have a plan for our city? Of course he does. Of course he does. We've got to be ready for that battle. The enemy wants to stop the gospel, not just in you, but in everybody's lives you come into contact with. So you pray. You do not need to know every part of Satan's plan because we know how to defend ourselves. You read your Bible, you stick close to your brothers and sisters, you trust the Lord. You have this, this faith and truth and righteousness and the urgency of the gospel and the assurance of salvation and prayer and, and the sword. That's how you do it. And when you do that, you'll be fine because then you can stand. And there will be moments of opposition and days of evil, but the gospel of peace will go forward. We simply need to get a little bit of urgency because people are not our enemy. We're going to march forward in humility, offering the love and the grace that God gives to all of us. We must be willing to fight to proclaim this gospel that is so freely given to us. And we do that by being faithful and truthful people, like we are called to be. Like faithful and truthful people that the world has never seen. Because then the world will see the truth of this gospel, and things will begin to change. I invite you, as I do every week, uh, to communion. Communion is the place where we remember that our great king came and died and fought and rose from the dead uh, to, to offer us this salvation and redemption and hope. So we take that cracker and we break it like Christ's body was broken for us. We dip it in the wine or the grape juice, which represents his blood that was shed for you and I. He comes just like God promises in Genesis chapter 3. And yes, he is wounded in that battle. He died, but he wins the victory for you and I. He defeats our enemies of Satan, sin, and death. And we remember that as we take communion. We're going to worship God through prayer. There will be some deacons and elders in the back. And if you guys, need, if you have never met Jesus, or maybe you feel like you're just getting attacked all the time and you don't know what to do and like, where is this coming from? Pray with them. They would love to pray with you. And we're going to worship God through song. The band's going to come up. As we do a couple songs, take, take some moments and, and pray and ask God to show you where you're at in this battle. To open your eyes to the things that you just thought maybe were just tough and you're always, oh my goodness, this is actually a battle that I'm in the midst of. Uh, we're going to worship God through giving. There's offering boxes on the sidewall and in the very back. And we give because God gave so much to us. Giving is simply part of our worship. I mean, giving is also part of a battle because we all struggle with it. It's like, well, I don't want to give. They just want my money. Well, it's God's money to begin with. You know? Giving is part of that battle in that. It's part of worship of who God is. And we'll worship God through fellowship. There's food and coffee and stuff in the back. And we invite you guys. 
to go and, and, and eat food and meet some other people and oh, so good, get out of your way. Like it's like peripheral vision like a boxer. So you know, like. And we invite you guys to hang because again, uh, fellowship, this is also part of the battle. Because so often we just want to go, I don't want to meet all those people at church. They're just weird. And they are. It's great. It's wonderful. You know, so you get to know some of these other people, not just go home and hide. You get to know some other people. Because, again, that's also part of the battle. It's part of your worship. Again, uh, there's a sign-up in the back if you want to be in a small group. Uh, you sign up for that. Be in a small group. Get to know some other people. And maybe have some people stand beside you in this battle. Because Jesus stands beside you and he will never leave you. Let's pray. Part of this morning. I do ask that we would be a people who understand uh, more of this battle that we are in. And yet we would be those who honor you in such a way that your name is lifted up. That as we are attacked, we stand firm because of the faith that you have given us. We hold the truths of the gospel. Though everything assail us, we hold on it till we see it not because we always do. God, we thank you for bestowing upon your children these gifts that allow us to stand and fight in this battle that that grow us into the people you call us to be. Help us be those in a very real way that learn how to fight for the gospel, fight for souls that are lost, And that we wouldn't see all these people as our enemies. But we'd see them as those who need to hear the truth of your gospel and your words. And this morning, as we come to you in in worship, in song, in communion, I ask that you'd speak to us as your children. That we would bow down before you and worship only you get ourselves out of the place of worship and place you there because only you are worthy of our worship. Have us stand strong as your people. And we thank you for being so good to us. Amen.